Oh, it turns out we've been recording for 26 seconds now. Okay. <laughs> Hopefully you can edit this. I can. Yeah, I, I can. Or I can just leave it and sound like an idiot. But anyway, <clears throat> here we go. Hey, everyone. Welcome to the World's Okayest Mountain Bike Podcast. Uh, Kyle and I are uh, somewhat secretly, not so secretly, recording this in the middle of a workday. Although... He's driving, so I don't suppose you could be doing any work right now, could you, Kyle? No, and if anybody from Ecolab is listening to this, I'm definitely not driving. <laughs> do, we, do we need to cut that out? I don't think we do. <laughs> no, I will be okay. I can't imagine the, the audience reaching this is going to be anybody that's going to care. But for the record, I'm definitely not driving. <laughs> oh, my bad. I just thought you were. My mistake, everybody. Kyle's no, not I driving. I have to drive. I'm sitting in a parking lot eating a cheeseburger, drinking a shake before yeah. I drive. Good call. Well, and I uh, I technically consider this uh, work. You know why? <laughs> there it comes. Are there you ready? That's right. Well, look, it's a mountain bike podcast. We all love to ride, but the great thing about mountain biking is it's a lifetime sport, but it's not cheap. It's dangerous. And if you want to keep shredding well into uh, retirement years, or if you're not that old and you just want to get a financial plan together and uh, have your finances in order to set you up well for your future, to afford your kids' bikes, maybe fund your grandkids someday, you never know, you need to let me help you set up a financial plan as your financial planner with Belgrade Financial Services. So if I can be a benefit to you, which I can, whether you think I can or not, just give me a chance. Email me at ksylvie at moneyconcepts.com or give me a call 573-327-7003 or just, just get a hold of me any way you can. Send up smoke signals, show up on a random Saturday to Shepherd Mountain. I am sure you will find me. And let's make the dream come true to make the bike park the new golf course. Belgrade Financial Services is an independent firm not affiliated with Money Concepts Capital Corp. All securities through Money Concepts Capital Corp. Member F, member FINRA, SP, SIPC. Holy smokes. Does that even count if you mess up the uh, disclaimer? <laughs> that sounds pretty legal to me. Member FINRA, SIPC. There we go. <clears throat> and you know what? I, I, can, I can justify this at work because uh, this little ad read, it's done some good. Uh, that's really all I can say but it's working so so what you're saying is that you've had people who listen to our podcast reach out to you and <clears throat> look for assistance in their financial planning future yes but that's literally all i can say about it any more might be uh i don't know a violation so we'll move on and actually talk about mountain bike stuff before i before we lose all our listeners uh <laughs> so I figured today we'd talk a little bit about some uh, some more of the the uh, questions we have on our Facebook page. Um, a topic that I did not think would have a lot of interaction that I posted this morning, just a thought. And man, like people have some opinions, uh, which is fine with me. But um what I posted this morning, and I think I posted it on the St. Louis, the STL Enduro page. It wasn't even on our, our page. Was I listen to a lot of moto podcast media. Um, 
Pulp MX show, Racer X stuff, Jason Thomas's industry seating podcast, uh, main event moto, and all these motocrossers, like they all mountain bike, mainly for training, which is fine. Like that's cool. But even the retired ones and some of the current ones, you see them every once in a while, they'll post a video and they're like out in their spandex and they like find a little jump to jump on a cross country bike and they jump in. I'm like, that's cool, whatever. But they all talk about mountain biking. But when it comes to retired racers, you know, Ryan Dungey, Davey Millsaps, uh, some of the older ones, Johnny O'Mara, um, Justin Brayton, like, it's always, always, always cross country and just long distance riding. And I'm starting to wonder because, like, on the Pulp MX show, they talk about mountain biking so much. I have never, ever, ever, ever heard the word enduro or even what we would call enduro described in different ways. Like, even somebody be like, yeah, I just, you know, I climb, but I, you know, really only care about the downhills. Never heard anything remotely like that to the point where it's been so many years of listening to this. I'm like, I wonder if these guys know about the discipline of enduro, like as a competitive discipline. You know what I'm saying? Or even if, if not even enduro, I mean, even just bike parks. So uh, I've yeah. noticed that a little bit. I mean, we even, you know, Ryan Brown is a classic example of that. Ryan, I all but retired from racing and dove right into full endurance, long distance cross-country mountain biking. And it wasn't really until even just a couple of years ago uh, that Ryan put away the skin suit and started riding mountain bikes like he's supposed to. And, Which, uh, well, and it, I don't know. For, for Ryan, that might be the answer to all this, uh, might be the Ryan Brown example. <laughs> a short conversation. But, but those still too. So, so through working at a shop, you know, we've worked with a bunch of different customers that come from the moto background. And there's a ton of guys like before enduro hit, these guys would come in for bikes and they'd be riding these hundred mil travel, you know, cross country 29ers with 110 mil stems on them. And I'm like, who sold you this bike? Like, why are you riding this? Like you came from racing moto and riding moto. Like this is so far from what that is. I was always confused by it too. Because it seemed like to me the logical transition would be to enduro and bike parks and featurey, jumpy, you know, big fun trails like that. So I was surprised to see that too. So I'm I'm curious to kind of peel this apart and see if we can figure out why former moto racers, guys that like big jumps and racing motocross tracks, gravitate towards uh, endurance-based, long-distance cross-country riding. Yeah, and I do think maybe the the biggest reason <clears throat> is they've they've done so much of that high intensity as far as the danger level goes and speed that they're just kind of over that. I mean, I think I, I'm not going to say their name or speak for them, but I can think of someone local that was a lot faster than me in moto, you know, at his peak. And, uh, he's done and he, he and somebody else, they've done some enduros, you know, on like mellower trails, but they don't really seem to have a lot of interest in like shepherd mountain. Um, and maybe it is like they've been hurt so much in the past. They're just kind of like over that part of it and, uh, maybe get the thrill out of just the challenge, like just the physical, um, challenge of pushing yourself for, you know, a couple hours. I don't know, but for me, 
and to your point too, like you said, is that a lot of those guys, current racers, current racers on a team or current racers, like consistently pursuing uh, competitive motocross, I could see cross country mountain biking being used as a cross training tool with a, with a lower risk factor. You know what I mean? Like if those guys are just trying to cross train and get fit, I understand that. So maybe the guys that retire just don't know much better and they, you know, they've spent time cross training and cross country mountain biking, putting, doing hundred mile days and stuff like that. And that's just where they gravitate towards because that's what their experience is. I guess. And you know what I got into mountain biking, <clears throat> this might be a major difference. I didn't really get into mountain biking as my first choice. Like I wasn't, I was still into moto when I got hurt and then ended up and was moving to Houston right after that. So it didn't really make sense to take a motorcycle with me, uh, being that I was hurt and didn't know, you know, just the logistics of dealing with a motorcycle is a pain and, you know, having a little trailer or a way to haul it around and didn't have a truck back then and was using a little trailer with my wife's vehicle. And, you know, I got into the mountain biking side. I wasn't, at a point where it's like, ah, I'm done with motocross. Like I'm over it. You know, I wasn't making a choice to, I wasn't making a choice to be like, yeah, I'm, I'm just going to move on to something else. Uh, it was more like I was for a time forced out of it. So I was basically looking for a motocross replacement that I could do in the city. Um, and so when I got into mountain biking, you know, you were, you were, this is really how you and I became friends is I knew you were a guy who knew something about bicycles and what I think I reached out to you like, Hey, I'm going to buy a bike that I can ride trails on and do dirt jumps, <laughs> which right. now I, I think about that now. And I'm like, I wonder what Kyle was really thinking back then. <laughs> Cause I, well, I think nothing. I talked to, I think I talked into buying two bikes is what I did. <laughs> Oh, eventually. Well, you didn't have to. Once I really started, I, I understood and started getting really jealous of the people I saw and like full suspension trail bikes, you know, right. out on the trails that I was riding my hardtail intense taser uh, four cross bike, um, which it was so light, you know, even for a 26 inch and stuff, it was so light and single speed that it didn't make a bad trail bike for Houston cause it's pretty flat. And, um, and then I could, it could also double as a dirt jump bike, but now I understand it really wasn't ideal for dirt jumping and it wasn't ideal for trail riding either, but it kind of did both. Okay. Right. Um, Actually I saw, I saw that bike the other day. Oh yeah. Oh, yep, and, and right uh, to the pump track. Yeah. They just gym, gym, something Toto. I don't know. On Facebook, it's like, Photo Vito, I don't know. Um, he, uh, I guess he still has it. It probably is killer at the pump track, man. Like that geometry and stuff when the speeds get high. It's uh, that bike's got to be great for that. Anyway, um, we don't have to get into talking about my old bikes, but the 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 point is like <clears throat> when I did want to get a mountain bike. I want, I still didn't want a cross country bike, even in Houston. Like I wanted something I could hit little jumps on and be comfortable and like more relaxed and feel in my hands, more like a motocross bike would. 
and it just does not seem to be the case in the uh the motocross world um for the most part right uh which is why i thought may like maybe you're right like maybe they were just so in that training and cross-country world road biking cross-country they're right. like that's what you do on a bicycle it's like you just you go and hammer and pedal and pedal and pedal right uh, well even still like i've even still got by i just sold a bike to a buddy of mine recently um same thing i mean him and ryan brown i think raced moto back in the day i mean uh john was a pretty competitive motocross racer from what i understand and same thing i mean he he, he all he cares about is how fast he can climb up a hill like that he just wants the lightest most nimble thing ever to do that i'm like you have, like haven't you ever ridden anything fun you know like that isn't climbing up a hill <laughs> uh but it's it's i've had that conversation with at least three of our customers that i've sold bikes to that that's what they wanted that's what they asked for and they all came from like a highly competitive moto background now i will say too this is kind of interesting the guys that i know that were very casual moto riders all None of those guys are cross-country guys. Like the casual moto guys are all uh, enduro, trail, bike park guys. You know what I mean? Or even freestyle. I think there is some correlation, though, between competitive, high-level motocross racing and cross-country racing. Like that, like that pushing your fitness, pushing your, pushing your limit of what the human body can do for distances and stuff like that. But the guys that I know that own dirt bikes and ride dirt bikes that are just, you know, I call, I call them you know, free riders or just casual moto, moto guys, all those guys preferred proper trail riding. Yeah. Well, and I think, yeah, I, I think there's something to that is if people who are extremely competitive in moto and have left it behind, like haven't been forced out, but have just been like, you know, the time's come. I'm, I'm done. Right. They might be over the adrenaline rush part. Like, right. I mean, when you're pushing in an enduro race, especially somewhere like Shepard, I mean, you know, they haul somebody out of there. Usually these people are people who've gone down cannonball totally blind and didn't stop to look at anything. Uh, that's another topic. But um, <laughs> a lot of them, I think they are just kind of over like the danger. They're like, you know, they're not looking to get hurt, but they still want to push themselves. And so cross country is a nice fit there. but. For the casual guys and people like me, it's like, well, I'm not over it. It's just logistically and cost-wise, mountain biking makes more sense for me. So I'm looking for, like, the same kind of thing, you know. Um, right. Which I certainly get, you know. But I don't know, man. Every time I hear them talk about, like, yeah, there's a trail and it's really fun down this hill and blah, blah, blah. But, like, I'm sitting there thinking, well you're right like imagine how fun it would be if you were on a bike that wasn't trying to send you over the handlebars all the way down <laughs> right no absolutely but that being said i still i, I want a down country bike so bad uh, <laughs> because of the trails Man. i have around here you know it's hard to get down to shepherd during a weekday but st joe park's no problem it's real close uh i work right. in farm in a ton so but uh, you know what? There's a. I have learned that that trail's a lot more fun when I throw on. Now that I have a backup set of wheels, I uh, 
I keep the carbon wheels with just like trail tires on. They're not even cross country tires. They're, you know, an SE five. That's like almost a thousand grams on the back. And then that's an enduro uh, tire. Yeah. Well, is it though? Because when you look at like professional enduro, <laughs> those guys run downhill casing tires are enduro tires. Well, right. Uh, but I mean, like as far as a classification of tire, you know, the, yeah. especially from that brand i mean they make cross-country tires they make trail tires yeah. they make enduro tires and they make downhill tires like categorically right. that yeah i would just call it a heavy trail tire on the back and then a, a vittoria maza trail up front which i don't know how much that thing weighs i'm going to say somewhere in the eight or nine hundred gram range 900 so sure. not super light but throw those on a set of carbon wheels and then with no inserts well i do have a huck norris in the rear which i probably don't even need I'm, next time i mess with it i'll probably take it out um compared to downhill casings front and rear with 200 gram inserts on aluminum wheels uh <laughs> it's a big difference pedaling that sucker yeah. around um, oh, sure. Well, you, you probably went from a 36 or 37 pound bike to a 33 pound bike. I think we weighed my bike once with like roughly a thousand to 1100 gram tires, uh, plus inserts. And, uh, except they were Huck Norris inserts. So pretty light. And I think my bike was right about 33. So yeah, you might be right. It probably is in that neighborhood. I've been 32 or 31. I don't know. It wasn't as heavy as we thought it would be, but with that full Shepherd Mountain setup, I know it's three to three and a half pounds of rotating weight difference between the wheel sets, how I have them set up. Wow, that's a lot. Yeah, it's it's definitely noticeable, but at the same time, man, I like you, you have to do it if you want to go bike parking. Well, if you want to go to the bike park and you want to like go as fast as you can go yeah that's what it is it it is it's a speed because i i've ridden everything you've ridden there except for one there's one feature that i haven't hit yet um and i've ridden and i i I don't i haven't broken anything yet but i but i'm not ever hammering you know what i mean like never i've never taken a lap at hammer pace and i think that's that's absolutely the difference between breaking things and not breaking things is trying to ride light and nimble and uh, and just smash your way through everything oh for sure yeah, no doubt about that. I mean, I've ridden. That's that's completely it. It's 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 the it's a five percent effort difference. Uh, makes you know a, a fifty percent difference on what you break. <laughs> right. So anyway, let's move on to. I'm I'm gonna pull up some uh some other questions that we uh we've had and revisit here. There was one I saw as I'm pulling this up. Sorry, I got on a different page, so I got to go back and find our Facebook page. But I do remember one off the top of the head was it was phrased as free upgrades, which, you know, in one sense, I was like, that doesn't make sense. However, now that I'm thinking about it, I mean, taking so this is something I would call like a free upgrade. Um doing actual testing 
with your suspension settings and your tire pressures. Um, yeah. Because that can that makes a huge difference in the ride. Uh, but you, it does take time. Like it's not automatic. And I know a lot of folks are like, yeah, I just set my sag and I go, which that's a good place to start. But you might find that if you actually do some experimenting that the recommended settings or even the recommended sag is not the ideal um, setup for you or how you like to ride like at all. So I, yeah. I can give you an example. Yeah. You know, Trek is pretty well like just about everybody else where, you know, 30% sag on a long travel bike is kind of the standard across the board. But what I found with the slash, and this was true with my old shock that came on the bike. Um, and it's been, it was true whenever I threw a Megneg on that shock. And it was true when I replaced that shock with a Fox Float X2. Um, my bike rides much better if I go to like, and this sounds like I'm splitting hairs, but I'm just telling you that this tiny bit of difference, I can feel it. I feel it every time I experiment with it going to like 32 to 35% sag, you know, 33, whatever, just a little bit beyond 30% is feels night and day compared to exactly 30% or like, you know, maybe 28 or 29 when going right. down. I mean, it's a, it really settles the bike down coming into corners and you're on the brakes and it's kind of rough. It, it makes a huge difference without touching any clickers or changing them. Just that little extra two or three percent more sag on that particular bike makes it ride way better for for downhill stuff. See, that's the thing is that I, I, I as long as I've worked in the industry and and had different bikes, I, I still don't have the the magic touch to tell what would make me faster. I know I enjoy having a more supportive, a more supportive rear shock. So I run less. I probably run like 25% sag. Um, <clears throat> and I usually will run 10 or 15 PSI above what the recommendation is. Cause I, I like having a little bit more supporting of a supportive backstroke where I can, you know, you can jump better. You can kind of, the bike is more lively and more playful. Um, but, I, but I'm sure that I could benefit speed wise from being able, from slowing it down and, and, and running it deeper, running deeper into the suspension. But I don't know. I, I have a hard time figuring out what I like versus what makes me fast. Well, and there is a trade-off there. I mean, it makes the bike not as fun to climb. Um, even with the flip, you know, the switch, you flip like the climb switch. If you've got one on your shock, uh, right. that climb switch will, you're still going to sag to the sag point. Now, that climb switch is going to help you keep from sagging even more when you're on the power going up something steep. But, you know, certainly I've, I have ran my bike with, you know, if I know I'm going for a big ride one day out at like Berryman or something, and it's going to be a big ride. Um, I'll actually add like 20 PSI to my shock and go in a couple clicks on low speed compression. And that way I can just leave my shock open and it still, it climbs better, you know, it's supportive because I'm not, you know, pushing the downhills or whatever. Um, right. But, 
you know, that little difference can be huge. Uh, another thing, if you have a bike and a lot of bikes have this, a lot of bikes have this, like a flip chip, you know, Trek has the Mino link. Um, it'll change your head and tube angle, you know, half a degree steeper slacker, depending on where you're at, um, lower the bottom bracket or raise it a little bit. You know, that sucker can make a big difference too. Um, I, so I actually did an experiment cause I I've been running it in the low for a long time. Um, I flipped it to high and, uh, went out to shepherd a couple weeks ago, one morning, real early in the morning, uh, for a pre-work ride and, uh, went up Coolio's and it was, you know, it was nice. I wasn't, you know, trying to pop a wheelie quite as often. But I didn't really make any shock adjustments to compensate because I'm like, well, if I do that and make it sag more, then I'm losing the the climbing advantage, which is the whole point of doing it in the first place. And, dude, just going down Element 26, uh, a familiar trail where you kind of expect your bike to feel a certain way, I kept thinking I was going to get kicked over the handlebars over just a half a degree and, and a few millimeters of <laughs> bottom bracket lift, I went home, I flipped it back to low and I haven't missed. I'm like, well, unless this is going to become a dedicated, just trail bike, it's staying in low from now on because it felt so sketchy. And it's funny. Cause when I first bought the bike, I ran it in high until shepherd. My, I, I got that bike in the fall of 2018 and I never flipped the switch until cannonball was open well you know when it was by the time cannonball which was the first trail was finished i had ran right. it in the high forever and was totally fine with that thought it was slack enough it was good enough i finally switched it to low and uh yeah man definitely a lot better for downhills for cornering kind of sucks for pedal strikes not gonna lie you, you can tell the difference um but, you know, there's a free, I guess, upgrade right there, right? Um, right. You know, anything that makes your bike feel significantly different, you can call it an upgrade as long as that is a good difference. So that's where I would say, like, you know, you can start with recommended settings, but just for the fun of it, man, go to go to a trail that you're very familiar with. Um. And if you're focused on on climbing more, try a little more air pressure. Uh, if you've got the ability to adjust low speed compression in small clicks, you know it doesn't really work as well if you've just got a, you know, you're either in climb mode or open mode. Doesn't really give you the option. Um, but try running a little more air than recommended. Try running a little less. Uh, you know, my my theory with suspension is not the you should bottom out a few times on your local trail or you've got it too stiff or whatever. I don't think that's true at all. If your local trail is super mellow and doesn't have any big hits, it probably shouldn't be bottoming out, <laughs> you know, like. Right. You do suspension based on feel and what feels right to you for the way you ride. and. You know, for some people, they like a really soft setup. And for me, I definitely prefer 
probably on the stiffer side on the fork. And I'm probably pretty middle of the road on the shock. Um, you know, everybody wants it to feel plush and then never bottom out, but that's kind of a pipe dream. <laughs> <laughs> right. All right, what's next? Well, I have one more free upgrade that you're going to disagree with. Because the problem is, if you don't like it, it's not free anymore. <laughs> <laughs> I know where this is going. Yep. It, <clears throat> a lot of bikes are coming these days with 800 to 820 millimeter wide bars on trail bikes. Now, I'm assuming this happens because the company, Bontrager, for example, they just want to make one handlebar and sell it. And then their probably assumption is the shop or the customer will cut the bar down to where they want it. Which makes sense. That's fine. But I still think a lot of people are out there running 780 or more with bars that really probably aren't getting any benefit out of that. They might be putting their shoulders at risk uh, in a crash. They're, you know, smacking trees more than they really need to. Um, so I think a free upgrade is cutting your bars down a little bit. Um, you know, go buy but if you've got aluminum the, bars. The, it's the not a big there. The key phrase there is a little bit because one of my buddies, and I'm going to call him out for this because he doesn't listen to the podcast anyways, but my buddy Tony <laughs> just bought a new bike. And so Tony has been riding these same old bikes since 2003, I would say. It has never changed a bike, hasn't changed anything. It's like whatever it's taken to keep that thing moving since 2003, he's been on the same bike. And it's been, it was a dirt jump bike with a drivetrain. So it was a, it was a hardtail, nine-speed, one-by-four-cross Yeti race bike. But anyway. So mm -hmm. back then, we all rode like, well, what did we all ride? I, I probably rode 660, 650 bars. I mean, that was that was, that was wide at the time. But, like, I, I couldn't picture riding a bike anything less than 750 right now. Like, 740 maybe. But, like, I, I like to ride a, seven, you know, a 750 to 780 bar. Um, I can't I, I can't do the 820s or 800s. I don't, even, I don't even know if my moto bars are that wide. But old boy Tony buys this bike. And then pretty much just runs all the controls in as, as, as narrow as he could possibly get them and then just chopped them at the minimum length. Like, chopped them, like, chopped the maximum amount off of each side. I bet he cut these bars down to 700 or, like, or 680 or something like that. He sent us a picture. He's like, I don't know why this bike had bars this wide. I was like, Tony, because that's what the, the whole geometry of that bike is designed around your arms being in a certain position. Like, it, it's a new <laughs> modern trail bike. And uh, he just he chopped down his 780s down to like 680 or 700 or something because it wasn't what it wasn't what his his 17 or 18 year old mountain bike had before. <laughs> That's a good one. I hope he listens yeah. to this. Good old. And, I, uh, we'll yeah. see. And maybe and maybe maybe he'll never know because he'll never ride a wide bar and never know what he's missing. He'll be plenty happy, which I'm imagining how it was. He was plenty happy on his old on his 18 year old Yeti for a long time too. But, uh, there's just, there's better stuff out there. You know what I mean? <laughs> yeah. And I've ridden enough now, like, you know, I've ridden quite a spent a lot of time on a bike with seven eighties. Uh, my bars used to be seven fifty. I've still got those lying around as backup. Um, you know, I'm pretty well settled on seven sixty. It's plenty wide. 
Um, you know, I guess it may be a little more comfortable for me than 750 was when the going gets really intense. But at the same time, I also, um, I think I'd be just fine, you know, if, if I bought a bike, if I was buying a bike used and had 750s on there, I wouldn't fret about it, you know, at no. all. Um, no, 750s fine. And it depends on how big you are too. We're, we're we're both, you know, we're both under six foot. So I mean, you know, riding a 750 is, is pretty good. Is good for us. Yeah. Well, and if, I mean, if you're six three and have a six foot five arm span, you know, and, and wide shoulders, then maybe a seven seven eighty or eight hundred is better for you. Yeah, I think a good way to to tell is to um get a hold of a bar of some kind or if you have like a pull-up bar that goes on like a doorway you know sit that on the ground they're usually double as like a nice bar to do push-ups on or if you've got a gym membership you know go do bench press and not with a lot of weight but figure out the position not even necessarily where you're absolutely strongest because depending on your yourself and you know where your weaknesses are um you know, there was a time I used to do really, really wide bench press, and therefore I got stronger in that position. But what I didn't know is, like, I was putting my shoulders at risk. Um, you kind of need to find, to me, the, the golden spot is, where am I, do I make the most solid, strongest triangle um, all the way through the movement? If I go hit a big G out or come up short on a jump or hit a rock that I wasn't expecting, that I don't have my arms so stretched out that, you know, my shoulders at risk, but I'm not so narrow that I don't really have a nice solid frame uh, to work off of. Right. But what you cannot do is just look at whatever the latest trend is, you know, on pink bike or whatever. Um, and then just be like, oh, 800's the new thing. So, you know, I got to run 800. I mean, remember when, gosh, a couple of years ago when I lived in Houston, these guys were running their, they were sick riders. They were really good at dirt jumps. And they had like slope bikes. They were running like 780, 800 millimeter wide bars slammed, you know, basically flat bars slammed on their slope bikes. Because <laughs> that was like cool, and they, and then they'd hold on to the things at about seven twenty, with you know <laughs> four inches of handlebar sticking out from their hands on each side. Now tell me what the point of that was, other than pure trend or style. You know what I mean? Cool guy stuff, man. You gotta be cool. Yeah, you gotta be cool. I'm not. I'm. I'm not cool. Uh, a good friend of ours. A good friend of ours once told me, if you can't be fast, look fast. That's my motto for riding moto. <laughs> yeah, you did get yourself a new kit, didn't you? <laughs> I, I looked put a picture of you on the, uh, yeah. on, the, on the podcast Facebook page. <laughs> um, all right. Well, you want to at... talk about how far is too far when building a kid's bike? Oh, my gosh. I can't believe we haven't even already talked about this. <laughs> yeah, here's a question. It's uh, it's a listener question from a listener named Clinton. Uh, I wish Ryan was on here. Uh, Ryan couldn't make it today, guys. He's 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 busy, and we needed to get this recorded. I, of course, if he was on here, he'd probably side with you. 
because I know how Ryan is, but uh, are carbon handlebars needed on a four-year-old's bicycle? <laughs> that's that's yeah. the question. Yes. And carbon handlebars isn't where I stop. So here, let, me put some, let me put some reference out there, some uh, point of reference for this conversation. So Connor, my four-year-old, is, is a very, very, very strong biker. I mean, he races BMX, he rides single track, he rides pump track, he rides bike parks. He's actually ridden. Uh, he's actually ridden portions of trails at Shepherd. Uh, my goal for Connor is to have him be the youngest person to make it down an entire trail at Shepherd. And I think we're probably going to do that this fall, honestly. Um, so, Connor is, you know, coming from a family of bikers, has been fortunate enough to get set up with the right, with the right stuff and get get, get nice bikes. But I think that's the only reason he's been able to progress as good as he has is that you know most kids' bikes. So when you're you know, when you're riding a 16-inch bike, you're 25 to 45 pounds, you can't be riding a 25 or 30-pound bike. And a lot of these kids' bikes you know, that you buy at Walmart, even even manufacturer bikes, so even like Trek, Giant, Specialized, etc., a lot of their bikes that are uh, that are 16 inches, they're all they're all over 20 pounds. And if well, your kids are only 25 pounds, a Walmart Huffy quote mountain bike, I mean, it's going to be 40 pounds for a little. Yeah, like you said, 16-inch, maybe 20-inch wheel bike. Right. You know, it's steel, and the handlebars are upside down, and the front wheel's facing the wrong way, and all that stuff right. when, when it gets put together. But Right. So right. It'll be like 40 pounds. Right. So my bike that I got for Connor, so it's a, it's a British company. It's a company out of England, and they make, they're dedicated to making kids' bikes. And there's a couple brands out there like that. The one I got is the one that came from England. Um, fantastic bike, though. And they only made... The year that we got it, only five of these bikes made it to the entire United States, and I grabbed one of them. But it's been fantastic. It, and it came with hydraulic disc brakes. The whole bike, done and finished, with front and rear brakes on it, uh, weighed 14 pounds, which at that time, Connor probably weighed, uh, he might have been 20 pounds. So now he's 35. But still, I've got, so yeah, been now, my kid's like 30 pounds now, and they're only two. Yeah, he's he's a string bean though. I mean, he's a skinny little thing. You don't you don't he don't quit moving. But so anyway, so even even at thirty five pounds, you know, he's still he's at an age too where a lot of families who push their kids through bike riding would put their kid on a twenty inch. And I, I think you're really doing a kid a disservice if you're putting him on too big of a bike too early. I think put him on a smaller bike, let them learn how to maneuver it. Anyway, uh, that's it might be another uh, podcast. But lease that bike to your friends for a couple years uh, while their kids are growing up, and then you can t- get it back when your new baby is bigger. Uh, <laughs> so, right. So now I'm at the point now where Connor could probably ride a 20. Um, and the other day, this is so funny, man. So we're riding around. Me and him went on like an eight mile ride. We took a little camp camp for a bike ride. And um, we get back, and he's like, Hey, Dad, I want clickers. And I'm like, You want what? Because we, we were inside on the couch at that point. He's like, I want clickers. I'm like, what do you mean clickers? He's like, I want clickers for my bike. You know, click, 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 pedal, 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 click, click. And I'm like, oh, man, the old boy went shifters. He went the gear set. So, and that was always kind of part of the plan. So the bike we got is set up with a cassette, it, or it's set up with a, you know, with a cassette driver, uh, through axle, trailer hanger, the whole deal, through through frame, or uh, cable routing goes through the frame or that, that for a trailer. So anyway, I was like, all right, cool. Well, I, I'm going to put together some stuff for his birthday coming up. So, but the thing is that I didn't want to tack on a bunch of weight. Now, the other neat thing is that when you're rolling a 16-inch wheel, you don't need an Eagle drivetrain. You don't, you don't, it probably wouldn't even fit. So, and neither would 11-speed. So, really, you can utilize some really neat older parts 
and get like super high brand, super high level, high premium pro level parts that are seven to eight years expired and nobody's using anymore. So I got, I picked up an XX carbon SRAM shifter to go with a SRAM force carbon derailleur, which is a short, like an extra short cage derailleur and an 1126 SRAM red cassette. So that's the same technology that they use when they built their, uh, their new XX1 and AXS cassettes where it's just one big piece of billet machined. Uh, all the gears built and machined out of one big piece of billet. It's really neat. And so the whole cassette weighs like 130 grams and the rest of the stuff's all carbon. And then the other side of that too is that he's the, the bar that came with the bike is just not quite enough rise for him now because he is getting a little bit taller. So I wanted to put a bar on there, but it's even to buy an aluminum bar. Not many aluminum bars, modern aluminum bars have the rise narrow enough to where I could cut them down to you know, 500 or 520, which is probably what I'm riding. He's riding 480s now. So even if I were to buy a modern aluminum bar, it wouldn't matter because I couldn't, I couldn't run the controls narrow enough in order to, uh, in, in order to get the bar as short as they need to be. So back in the day, carbon bars, when they first came out, like, I don't know, 10 years ago, they only made them up to like 650, 660. But because of that, the rise on the bar on the, on those old carbon bars was super narrow. So you could find a super narrow rise carbon bar, which I did for like 35 bucks. I bought it from Canada and it's an old Bontrager carbon bar. That's got like a 35 degree rise on it, a 35 mil rise. So I'm, I'm stoked about it. So Connor's going to put like maybe 500 grams on his bike total and end up with a 10 speed drivetrain and front rear disc brakes. So really, you know, I'm making fun of you because when you think carbon bar, like what you think is super expensive for, you know, for gram weenies. But in this case, when it comes to kids' bikes, like you're basically getting old because, you know, bikes have gotten bigger and bigger uh, in general and the way we ride them has changed. You're basically getting old cross country parts that work really well for new kids' bikes. Correct. Yeah. So in my case, it's actually a road cassette and road derailleur with an old two by style, two by 10, uh, 10 speed shifter. And then a, an old cross country race handlebar, uh, that just was all perfect. That's the neat thing is that all that stuff from back in the day that we used to ride on expensive 26 inch bikes, we is totally 100% useless in our market. Uh, and, and for adults to ride, but for kids, it's perfect. Cause it was it, like, there has, there's been a high level pro level components since the onset of mountain biking. You just got to find stuff that works. And so like, you better believe that I've been hunting for an old carbon specific mountain bike that from 26 inch mountain bike that I wanted back in the day that I couldn't afford. And as soon as I find the right one in a smaller, extra small frame, I'm just going to buy it and sit on it. Cause my, you know, when he turns 10 and is ready, 10 or 11, and he's ready for a 26 inch mountain bike, I'm not going to spend $4,000 on a new kid's bike, but I'll spend five or 800 bucks on an old, you know, $6,000 bike from 15 years ago. And, you know, it's all stuff that's serviceable. You know, make sure it's all Fox or RockShox. Um, but, I mean, you can utilize some of that really high-end, old-school stuff that fits a kid perfect still. Kyle, you, you are on to something here. You could definitely make some side money. I guarantee you there's people listening to this that would be willing to pay you, pay you to do this for their own kids' bikes for a decent fee. Because the way you're doing it, the actual bike itself doesn't actually end up being that expensive for what no, you need. So, so you no, could so charge like an extra 
even if they didn't have you put it together, just to source it, just to say, this is what we need here. I found it here by this, like basically a consulting fee, right? Yeah. I, you, you should do it for me and then I'll promote <laughs> it on a podcast. You know, well, that'll yeah. be <laughs> right. No, fair. And, and I'm doing it right now. So I've got a buddy of mine, same thing. He sent me like three kid bikes. Uh, that he's looking at. He's like, hey, I'm looking at these kids' bikes, and they're all like $800 kids' bikes, but they're all 30-pound, $800 kids' bikes. Because, like, no no bike brand out there, aside from, like, some of the big, dedicated kids' bike brands, like Spawn and Little Shredders and Early Riders. I mean, those guys make legitimate kids' bikes. That's all they make. But, like, all the big brands, nobody really makes a proper high-end bike with really pro-level pro components that you can get into. And if you do, even from those other brands, you're still spending two grand. So he sent me these like thousand dollar or these eight hundred dollar kids bikes, and I'm like, man, you could, but that's still a hardtail, and it's still and, it, and it's still you know going to be a thirty pound bike. Whereas if we started looking at old Gary Fisher's old Trex, old Specialized, he's a Specialized guy, so I'm trying to help him find an old carbon Specialized twenty six inch one twenty mil trail bike, and if you look for him, uh, you can get them for under a thousand dollars, and really to buy it, all you would do is you would buy it, put a shorter stem on it, put a little wider bar on it. And then put whatever modern drivetrain you can put on it. So in, in my, in, for a kid, that would be a SRAM SX drivetrain, full drivetrain and everything. You're like 300 bucks, and now he's got a one by 12 Eagle drivetrain on a 26 inch carbon bike that's gonna feel like an absolute shredder for him. And you know he gets to ride a super premium top end build um, for you know for what you would have paid for a new bike. Now my boss would hate me hate me hate me to say that you should buy your kid's bikes used, but I mean it's. Uh, you know, it, it's kind of the market that we're in is that unless you're really ready to spend the big bucks on an old kid's bike, it's well, at least when you, once you get into that range, if you're still a kid still on a 16 inch to a, a 20, you still got to buy a nice kid's bike. Right. right. Interesting. Well, I would totally like, seriously, if I was in the position and my kids are still too small, you know, they're only two in a couple months, but like, I would totally, for me, it'd be worth it to pay you 50, a hundred bucks just to, get the list of what I need and help me find it, you know, much right. less put it there. Um, so I, I, like, you know, that's not something I would have ever thought to do. All I know is I saw you were looking for a carbon bar. For <laughs> well, that's a cool thing. So, I mean, from being creative and having a couple connections, a couple good buddies that traded some parts around, I mean, my kid's going to end up with a, an essentially M what would have been $800 MSRP for cassette shifter derailleur chain, I'm going to be like, I don't know, 120 bucks into an entire drivetrain that's in great condition. It's just old, old outdated technology that we can't use. Gotcha. Well, yeah. So what did we cover on this already? We, we covered, uh, what did we start with? Uh, free, we did some free upgrade talk. We talked about What's the deal? Like, why don't more motocrossers get into the type of riding we like? We talked we about talked tires about again. Go figure. What's that? We talked about tires again. Go figure. We're always going to talk about tires every single episode. <laughs> um, one of these days, I, I'm going to do the full long term review on the dissector and the Asagai. Uh, spoiler alert: the the dissector sucks. Um, <laughs> Well, at least it sucks for hardcore down. There, there's a reason you don't see that dissector on anybody's bike on the EWS or World Cup circuit. Um, 
there's good reason for that. Ask the guy's pretty good, but it's not the uh, it's not the game changer I thought it was gonna be. You know, I assumed it would just be like this unreal experience, but it's good, but it's not life changing. I've been just as happy on other front tires, um, but that's not today. And uh, we need to go ahead and wrap it up because I've got to edit out several minutes of uh, my phone ringing and messing up anyway. (laughs) (laughs) I want to give people a chance to listen to the whole thing. So, yeah, covered some good ground. I wish Ryan could have been with us, but we'll get him back on the next one. And uh, thanks for listening, everybody. Please, please email us at okayest, O-K-A-Y-E-S-T, M-T-B at gmail.com. Uh, like our Facebook page. You can always post, send us messages. If you've got uh, suggestions or questions, we're certainly open to that. Helps us have content. I mean, we just do this for fun. Uh, yes, I read my ad. Yes, I'm dead serious. I would love to uh, help any of you with a financial plan or investments, whatever you need. But ultimately, we do this podcast just because we like talking about this stuff. And, uh, We will be, unless plans change, right now the current plan is that both Kyle and I will be shuttling at Shepherd Mountain uh, on this Saturday, July 24th. Um, And if Kyle's not there, I will probably still be there anyway. (laughs) Yeah, come sit with us. Come sit with us in the shuttle. Let's Let's talk some bike stuff. Let's talk kids' bike stuff or tires. I guess we can talk about tires. We're going to talk about, you know, it's it's always going to come around to tires. Well, look, it makes sense. You know, tires are the only thing that connects your bike to the ground. Uh, I don't know what else to say on that one. And, man, there's still a lot of tickets left for this Saturday. Um, it's so weird how that works. You know, last Sunday we had all that rain and stuff in the forecast, and it, like, sold out. Um and apparently it was really good, even though there was water. Uh, I asked somebody yesterday that who was down there, um, saw Devin Jared at the pump track, and I asked him how it was. He's like, he's like, honestly, it was great. He's like, there was water just running down the trail, but it wasn't muddy. It was just like water on top of hard packed trail. <laughs> That's awesome. So that is awesome. I'm stoked. All right. Well, thanks for doing this, Kyle. I, uh, hopefully all this recordings, um, end up the way I want, even with all the mess up parts. (laughs) Yeah. Hopefully you can cut it. (laughs) All right. See you, bud. See ya.